Hi. Hello. Homestead Church, good morning. This is Jeff and Christy Kerr, and uh, we are not able to be with you this Easter Sunday, but happy Easter happy to you. Happy Easter, everybody. Um, the reason we are not able to be with you is somebody's fault. Um, typically in marriages, you can share the blame with some things. Um, not this time. This time it is all my fault. Maybe the first time ever that something has been completely <laughs> my fault. It might be. First time. True. Um, I caught the COVID a couple of days ago. Um, I started having some symptoms on Wednesday evening, and then Thursday went in for some tests, and I aced those tests. <laughs> um, three for three. So I, I caught the Rona, and so we are staying home this Sunday. So if you are new today, we're so sorry that we couldn't be there to meet you. We always love meeting new people from the community on Easter. Um, so please come back. Uh, we hope that you have an awesome day today, that you get a chance to meet all of our amazing homestead people. And But we really would love to meet you in a couple weeks. So make sure that you come back. We're, we're coming back. We're coming back from this. We feel really confident. I'm, I'm handling He's, it pretty well, in case you're concerned. I don't like to use the word hero too lightly, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really doing okay. You're an inspiration, inspiration to, to the, kids. the kids. So we got a lot of fun stuff for the families today. Uh, please stick around, get to know somebody. It's going to be a great morning at Homestead. And mm -hmm. as a special treat this morning, Easter Sunday, we have a guest speaker who on very short notice uh, found time in his Friday night to speak at Good Friday service. And then this morning for Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, He's brought uh, some books that he's going to talk a little bit about, and his book is called Death to Life. He is an awesome communicator and speaker and really good friend of ours. We are so grateful that he is willing to come and share today, so I know you're going to enjoy that. So would you please give a nice homestead welcome to Micah Mack. It's... Uh... When I got the call on Thursday, literally, I believe Thursday, a day before Good Friday, I literally, my heart broke for Pastor Jeff and Christy because a beautiful brand new building, Easter Sunday, the Sunday where every pastor wants to be there in his community, his church, and they can't be here. And I just want to say, you guys are blessed with amazing pastors here at Homestead. Can we, can we honor Pastor Jeff and Christy and their leadership? I know they're tuning in online right now, and really what that does is that communicates a love for Farmington, communicates a love for you, that they're willing to stay home. And uh, if you are visiting with us today, we are so glad you decided to visit. If you came with a friend, uh, we're really glad that you guys are here, and uh, we want you to feel welcomed, and want you to feel like you're a part of this community here at Homestead Community Church. Uh, my name is Micah, as Pastor Jeff and Christy said, and uh, my wife and I, we get to travel the United States, uh, literally preaching everywhere and anywhere. We're in Florida, Pensacola, Florida this weekend. Uh, just last weekend, we were preaching to 600 men, men in a room uh, down at Lake Geneva. The weekend before that, we were in Colorado, and so we're, we're everywhere. Um, I did bring a picture of my family. This is a picture of my baby, Everly, there. And my wife, she's a worship leader, and she said, Micah, would you mind dressing our baby and getting her ready for church? And I said, hey, how hard is it to dress a baby? It really can't be that difficult dressing a baby. She laid out some clothes for me. I dressed my baby like that. I brought her to church. I was proud of myself. I felt great. I felt encouraged. First time ever. And uh, so I bring the baby into church, and I'm so excited. She looks cute. This is a win. And when I bring her in, there's a group of moms standing in the church lobby. 
And these moms are staring at my baby, and I'm like, I know, she's cute. I get why you'd stare. And a mom pulls me aside, and she goes, Micah, did, did you dress your baby this morning? I said, I, I did dress my baby this morning. Isn't she cute? And a mom, she goes, Micah, I just want you to know that when you dress a baby, the first thing you want to do is put on the onesie, and then you put on the pants, okay? And if you're a man in the room, and you saw nothing wrong with that photo, well, neither did I. Neither did I. The baby has clothes on it. It's fine. The baby's warm. It's fine. It looks great. I'm a man. When I get up in the morning, I put my pants on first, then my shirt. Supposedly, there's all these methods to dressing babies nowadays. It's crazy. It's a crazy world we live in, you guys. I'm still learning what it means to be a dad, and my wife, thank God for her. This is an updated picture of my family, Everly there. Everly's now four. That's the next picture. And there's Malachi, who's two. And uh, that's our family. That's our little family, and we're grateful for them. Hey, Pastor Jeff and Christy alluded to it very quickly. Uh, I did bring some copies of a book that I wrote, first ever book called Death to Life. And um, if you've been a part of Homestead for a while or you've been coming on Sundays, We've been asking this question around here, who is this man named Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he? You know, he would teach with authority and power, and people would say, hey, who is this guy? Jesus would heal and forgive sins, and the question was asked, who is this guy? And then Jesus makes this bold claim by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Who is this guy? And so I wrote this book talking about this guy named Jesus. And how he loves to take us from death to life. And then when he does that, when he takes us from death to life, then he also wants us to stay free and to live in his freedom. And so the second part of that book is all about how do we live in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us. Um, you guys can get some of those after service if you'd like. Um, but the title of today's message that I want to preach to you is called Death to Life. In fact, I want to start off with a story. A story of a couple of siblings. I don't know if you grew up with siblings at all, if you had sisters or brothers. Uh, I'm the oldest in my family. I have three younger sisters, y'all. I grew up with estrogen around me all the time. I'm still working through issues today, okay? And if you are a man and you had all sisters, you either have anger issues or you're really patient. One of the two, okay? It's just a, it's a big extreme that way, okay? I love my sisters. In fact... One of my sisters is uh, having a baby today, hopefully, which is really cool. We're, we're praying that we have a baby today. But, um, you know, there's these siblings, a brother and two sisters, and your typical sibling dynamic. But if they could be here today to share their story with you, they'd describe about how their story all changed when they decided to encounter and meet this person named Jesus. When Jesus didn't just become someone in a book or a Bible or... Jesus didn't just become someone who they had heard about, but Jesus had become personal to them in their life. It changed them from the inside out. They were at one point dead and lost in their sins. They met someone named Jesus who served as a bridge to make a right relationship to bring them from death to life. And if this brother and two sisters could be here today, they'd describe to you how Jesus changed everything in their life. But there was a moment where this brother who, at the age of 17 years old, ends up getting sick. And the sisters say, hey, you should go to the doctor. Like, you don't seem like you're doing well. You should really go to the doctor. He said, no, I'm okay. Finally goes to the doctor, 17-year-old kid, 
And the doctor does some blood work and some tests. And the doctor comes back. He says, son, do you have family? He goes, yeah, I have family. But why does it matter if I have family? He goes, son, he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your blood work came back and you have a terminal disease. You maybe have four months left to live. You're going to need your family in your life. And the 17-year-old kid's like, whatever, like, there's no way. I'm 17 years old. He goes, son, here are the results. You need to go home. You need your parents and your family in your life. The 17-year-old kid goes home, and he tells the news to his family, and the family begins to freak out, kind of in shock, disbelief, looks at the results. And the sisters, after some time crying with their brother, the sisters began to say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know how we've given our life to Jesus? You know how the Bible says that Jesus heals? Well, we're not going to stop praying and we're not going to stop believing for God to do a miracle in your life. We're going to believe that God will do the impossible, that God will heal you. And these sisters were filled with faith for their brother that they'd see a miracle before their eyes. They'd seen Jesus heal before. They believed that Jesus was going to heal again. So they believed and they cried out to God and the more they did that, the sickness didn't get better. The sickness actually grew worse. And the doctor said, hey, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you probably have a week left to live. You're going to want to have extended family come in. This may be your final week here on earth. The sisters could have been discouraged and could have given up. But instead, they choose to keep believing that God would show up, that God would do a miracle. They held on to faith and now the family's around the bedside of a 17-year-old son and a 17-year-old brother. And the family's there and these sisters watch as their brother end up taking his final breath on the earth. A young kid passing away. And after some weeping and after some mourning, the sisters begin to say this very thing. Jesus, if you would have shown up, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you just would have shown up like we've been asking, if you just would have shown up how you've done miracles in the past, if you just would have shown up and touched our brother, our brother would have been healed. And right there is the tension that so many people live in every day of their life. What happens when you read about this man named Jesus who says he's the resurrection and the life? But what happens when your reality of your life doesn't line up with who this person named Jesus is? What happens when Jesus the healer, Jesus the provider, you name it. What happens when you don't see his character show up in your reality? You could fill in your own blank. Jesus, if you would have shown up, we never would have had the divorce. Jesus, if you would have shown up, my husband would have believed. Jesus, if you would have shown up, we never would have lost a job. Jesus, if you would have shown up, we never would have watched the cancer diagnosis. You can fill in the blank. So many people in the world today have their own blank that they can fill in saying, Jesus, if you would have shown up. And that story that I told you is a real story. You could Google it and see it on the Internet or else you could open a Bible to John chapter 11 where there's two sisters by the name of Mary and Martha who end up having a brother named Lazarus who dies. And they'd sent word for Jesus, and Jesus didn't show up when they wanted him to show up. And now in turn, they have a dead brother on their hand who's been dead for four days. You see, Jesus was best friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If there was anyone who knew anything about this man named Jesus, it would have been his best friends. It would have been Mary Martha and Lazarus, you see, they had seen Jesus heal. They'd seen Jesus preach. They'd seen Jesus uh, 
cast demons out of people. They've seen this man, Jesus, who is fully man and fully God. Surely they knew that if Jesus would just come when they asked, they wouldn't have a dead brother on their hands. And Jesus has the audacity to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Who is this man, Jesus? I want to lead you with three things about who this man, Jesus, is that he shows us right here in the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You see, when Jesus shows up, he'd already been dead for four days. Families would come from out of town to comfort the family who had lost a loved one. In fact, in Jewish culture, it was common for families to stay for a minimum of seven days to weep, to mourn, to wail. In other words, everybody in the neighborhood knew when someone passed away because you could hear the screaming, you could hear the weeping of someone who had died in the community. Sometimes they would stay for up to 30 days with the family. When does Jesus decide to show up? Four days late. And the very first thing out of Martha's mouth, the sister of Lazarus who died, the very first thing out of her mouth was this. Jesus, if you would have shown up, our brother wouldn't have died. First words that Jesus hears. If you would have shown up, our brother wouldn't have passed away. And then Jesus looks right at Martha in verse 23 of John chapter 11. And he looks at her and he says, your brother will rise again. You want to know what Jesus was doing? He was addressing something that happened four days ago. He was addressing a past issue, a past event. If you're taking notes tonight or today, the first thing you need to know about Jesus is he always gets the final word about your past. He gets the final word about everything in your past. This issue happened four days ago. I wonder what issue happened four days ago in your life. The things in the past that still seem to stick with you. The things that you seem to never get rid of in your mind. The trauma, the pain, the sin, the things you've chosen. The things that maybe you didn't chose, but maybe the things that have chosen you. You see, I'm convinced one of the greatest prison systems in the world today isn't concrete and bars. But it's this word called shame. Yeah. It's this word called shame that looks to lock God out of your life. And to keep you locked up. Isn't it funny that we love to look in the rearview mirror of our life and constantly replay our past, but all the while Jesus just wants to be in the driver's seat and not allow you to look in the past, but to look forward with him as he leads your life. You want to know why the devil loves to bring up the past? The devil loves to bring up the past because the devil doesn't have a future. And all he has to go off is your past sins, your past mistakes, your past hurts, your past wounds. That's why so many times it's like we can't break free from this thing of the past. Jesus got the final word of the past. And if we're all honest in the room, we all have a past. We all have a past. Why? Because all of us at one point were born dead in sin. Scripture says there's not one perfect person. We were all born sinners. That it was because of Jesus and only because of him that he would be like a bridge serving as a way to connect dead people, people who are dead in their sin, and see them become found and lead us back into relationship with his heavenly father. You see, we all have a past. Growing up for me, I had a past. You see, the person I wanted to be like was my own father. My dad was a local youth pastor, a local firefighter in our town in Egan. Uh, my dad was the hero figure of my life. 
Before I could join the youth group, though, at the age of 12, 13 years old, I noticed things began to change in my own home. My dad, we used to open his Bible in the mornings and spend time with Jesus. But now when I would open my dad's bedroom door, there would be hard drugs laid out on the bed. And, and I'd, I'd say, Dad, what are you doing? And he quit trying to cover up the drugs and put them in his pocket and try to hide them. Hey, son, why don't you go in the room and watch the game? I'll be there in a little bit. I wasn't dumb. I knew what was going on. I'll never forget the day where my dad sat me and my three sisters down in our living room and said, kids, I just want you to know I'm divorcing your mom. I'm never going to step foot inside of church again. This is who I am. This is my life. This is how I want to live. See you later. And at the age of 13 years old, I became the man of the house. My mom, who was a stay-at-home mom, now all of a sudden worked full-time, went to school full-time, trying to provide for four kids. Our church fell apart that we were a part of. And the best decision a single mom ever did is she called a friend and said, hey, where's the best church that I can bring my family to? And there was a single mom hurting, broken, over 17 years of marriage that went down the drain, watching a husband cheat on her with multiple women, drugs and alcohol rip apart and destroy a home. And there I was watching my dad transition out and leave our family. One year after my dad left, my mom was tucking my sister in bed one night. She came across a big bump in her leg. And when my mom discovered the bump, she knew it wasn't just a bump or a bruise. She brought her into the doctor. When the doctor did tests, they found out there was a six-inch by eight-inch tumor wrapped around my sister's femur bone. When they did a biopsy of the tumor, they found out it was stage four synovial cell sarcoma cancer. An eight-year-old girl was given a 20% chance to live. I just watched my dad leave our family and now I'm watching as my eight-year-old sister has a 20% chance to live. Jesus, if you would have showed up, a damn would have left. Jesus, if you would have showed up, an eight-year-old girl wouldn't have cancer. Do you see the tension that so many people can live with? Do you realize I have every excuse in the book not to believe in Jesus? I have every excuse in the book to say, forget God. Why would I ever follow this man named Jesus who says he's the resurrection and the life? But my reality looks more like hell than it does heaven. This is exactly where Mary and Martha is. And Jesus looks at her and says, time out. Your brother will rise again. This isn't the end of the story. You don't see the full plan. You don't see everything. Jesus was getting the final word about a past issue. And I just want you to know, if it wasn't for Jesus ministering to a broken family, if it wasn't for the love of Jesus finding a broken home, if it wasn't for the love of God putting a lonely family inside of a church to grow in, if it wasn't for the Jesus getting the final word about my past, I would not be here today. I would not be alive today. Either strung out on drugs, contemplating suicide, you name it. Jesus always gets the final word about your past. When you decide to take the walk of faith, and leave your sins behind and you say yes to Jesus and you move onto the other side of death and into life Jesus says you are a new creation that the old is gone that the new has come that his life his resurrection power takes you from death to life I am only here today by the grace of Jesus who served as a bridge in my life to be able to walk from what Jesus did and made me right with who God is
It's only because of him. You see, Mary and Martha are freaking out. You notice how Mary doesn't show up, but only Martha does? You notice how Martha was the one that goes running to Jesus? Why did Mary stay behind? Because when grief hits a home, everybody processes differently. When trauma hits your life, everyone responds differently. Mary wanted probably nothing to do with Jesus. Otherwise, she would have ran out first. Martha goes and calls for her sister. Hey, Mary, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. And then what does Mary do in verse 33 in John chapter 11? It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had also came with her weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. You see, in verse 32, just before that, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I love the honesty of Mary. I love her honesty. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus, says the same thing her sister says. If you would have shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. I just want to say this. If you've walked in pain, if you've walked in grief, if you've walked in trauma, if you've walked in loss, always find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Bring your honesty to Jesus. Bring your pain to Jesus. Bring your honest confession to Jesus. The best place to always find yourself is always at the feet of Jesus. And every time you see Mary mentioned in scripture, Mary is always placed at the feet of Jesus. In her success, she's at the feet of Jesus. In her failures, she's at the feet of Jesus. And in her loss, she's at the feet of Jesus. And you want to know what I love about Jesus and who this man is, who says he's the resurrection and the life? is I love his response because in verse 35, when Jesus saw everybody else weeping, it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. Wept. And if you're taking notes, number two is this, is Jesus, he lives in your present. He lives in your present. He's a God who sees everything. He's a God who knows the ins and outs of you. And this was a God named Jesus who came to this earth. And when he saw his creation weeping, I love how he didn't gather everyone and say, let me give you a good sermon. Let me give you a good motivational speech that I posted on YouTube. Listen to these great words that rhyme and stick together. They'll stick with you forever. No, when Jesus saw them weeping, Jesus wept too. How many of you know when you are mourning or you are weeping, what you don't want or what you're not looking for is somebody's words, but you're looking for someone just to put an arm around you and weep with you too. Don't you see the humanity of Jesus? That when he saw brokenness, he was drawn to it. That when he saw hurting people, he was drawn to it. His heart was constantly moved with compassion. And whenever he had compassion, he always followed it with action. You see, Jesus begins to weep too. I wonder how many times you've found yourself weeping or how many times you've cried yourself to sleep or holding back the emotions that you feel within. Do you realize we serve a God who understands every human emotion? He's been tempted in every way possible. He's endured things. He's gone under things. He knows the humanity that we are. I'll never forget a day when I was playing softball and the umpire stops the game and my sister's screaming from the dugout and I run into the dugout. My sister goes, Micah, it's dad. He's been in a motorcycle accident. We got to get to the hospital. We go in the car. We go to the hospital and my dad had been in several motorcycle accidents. Fine every time. 
The doctors, when we get there, say, hey, your dad's breathing. Everything's fine. Looks good. We'll let you go see your dad in a little bit. And I said, okay, doctor, no problem. I figured that'd be the case. That's always been the case with my dad. And uh, two hours go by, and I look at the doctor and say, why have we not heard an update? Why has two hours gone by and we haven't heard anything? The doctor says, are you the oldest? I say, yeah, I'm the oldest. He goes, son, follow me. So he takes me and my family into a separate room. I say, doctor, just tell it to me straight. What's going on with my dad? He says, son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the brain scans on your dad's brain, uh, on your dad's brain is revealing a, a completely crushed brain stem. There's no brain activity whatsoever in your dad's brain. And son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but We'll give you space so you can go in and say your goodbyes to your dad. And when I heard that, it was as if someone just punched me in my gut. A young man trying to be the man of the house, a dad who had left and walked away. And a dream of mine was to one day preach with my dad. Well, shortly before my dad passed away in a motorcycle accident, my dad ended up coming around back to Jesus and going again from death and his sins to walking across the bridge and what Jesus did into life. A month before my dad passed away, my cousin had committed suicide and my dad was asked to do the funeral. Little did I know that would be the first and only time I ever got to preach with my dad. My dad began the message and I did the altar call and made the close. I remember when I heard the news of my dad passing, I was trying to be strong for my sisters. I went into my downstairs room. I left the hospital early, and I remember just collapsing on the bed, screaming, weeping, just yelling with pain. And in that moment, I can't describe it, but it was as if Jesus himself walked into the room, put his arms around me, and began to weep with me too. No words, no sermon, no, hey, go to this passage of scripture, but as if Jesus himself began to weep with me too. You see, Jesus knew what it meant to lose a friend. Jesus knew what it meant to lose somebody close. He lost Lazarus. And in that moment, what I needed was a savior putting his arms around me, comforting me, holding me, carrying me where I couldn't carry myself. And in that moment, in my greatest loss, I had a God who was more present, more real than any words that I could explain, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That is who Jesus is. He lives in your present. He gets the final word about your past, and you probably can put the final note in this sermon, but Jesus, number three, he holds your future. He holds your future. He knows the number of days we have left. He knows the breath that fills our lungs. No one knew the future that day. No one knew the outcome. No one knew what would happen. All they'd known is if Lazarus had been dead for four days in a tomb. He noticed how Jesus intentionally shows up four days late. Why four days? There was a belief that it was possible for someone to be resurrected within three days. After the third day, it'd be impossible. When does Jesus show up? When it's the most impossible. He shows up when it's the least likely. And he walks up on the scene that day. And in verse 38, Jesus says, he's deeply moved, comes to the tomb, a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
So he says a prayer, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Do you realize what's happening in this very moment in time? Something called Passover is happening. What's Passover? A big Jewish holiday that represents God passing over the angel of death, leading the people out of slavery and into freedom. Passover's company, which means this, thousands of people would be traveling from outside the city into the city for the festival. Where are the tombs? The tombs are outside the city. Jesus saves his final miracle of his public ministry for this very moment right here to demonstrate something. That he doesn't just say, I am the resurrection and the life, but he came to demonstrate it. He came to model it for thousands that would be passing by. And then Jesus, with a loud voice, I love how scripture says a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. <sighs> Breath fills his lungs, heart begins to beat, brain begins to work. And a man who is dead encounters the resurrection power that day and is raised to life and resurrected. The same voice that breathed and made the universe. The same voice that said, let there be light. The same voice that breathed into the nostrils of man and made man. The same breath that created and made something out of nothing. Is the same voice that speaks to dead things and tells it to come to life. It's the power of the voice of this man named Jesus. It's who Jesus is. And can I just tell you, as a young man, I didn't know what the future held for my family. I didn't know what held for the future of an eight-year-old girl who's diagnosed with stage four cancer. But there was someone named Jesus who knew the future, who knew the outcome. Someone who said, I am the resurrection and the life. My sister had battled cancer for two years. She went through all the chemotherapy and radiation her little body could handle. She went through over 15 surgeries. The tumors had spread to her lungs. She has all these scars all over her body. And I'll never forget the day an evangelist came to our church, looked at my sister, and he spoke over her life. He said, young girl, one day you're going to come to my church in Tennessee and you're going to share your testimony on how God healed your cancer. We've been praying for two years for a miracle, nothing. Make-A-Wish Foundation showed up and gave our family a wish. Her wish was to go swim with the dolphins in Florida. Make-A-Wish gets wishes to kids who are probably going to die. Every single child on the cancer floor at the University Children's Hospital died. Every child, my sister, through the radiation and chemotherapy, through a divine intervention, went to the hospital to go get scans and see where all her tumors had gone in her chest. When the doctors held up the scans, there were no more tumors whatsoever, and she's been cancer-free for over 15 years. It's the resurrection power of Jesus. And today, this Easter Sunday morning, she is leading worship at the very church she was prophesied in that she would give a testimony of God healing her. Yeah. Only God can write stories like that. Only God can make ways like that. Yeah. The same house that I grew up in 
and watch a divorce play out. The same living room where my dad was arrested and brought to jail. The same house that I grew up in and watched affairs take place. The same house that I grew up in and watched drugs and abuse take place. The same house where all of this death took place is the same exact house my wife and I bought four years ago. You want to know why we bought it? It's because this place is no longer a picture of death and what death looked like. This place where they're once filled with dark rooms now is a place because of Jesus who brought our family from death to life. And one day, my two and four-year-old kids are going to hear the story of how God took a family and brought them from death to life. Of how God's resurrection power showed up, saved a broken family, and made a story that only he could write. What happens when you surrender your life to Jesus and allow his resurrection power to come? What happens when you stand on this side of the bridge in your death and your sin and you look at what Jesus did for you, laying his life down on a cross, making a way for you to cross over on this bridge from death and then into God's glorious presence and into life? It's powerful. It's the resurrection story. It's the Easter story. I have traveled this country, and I have watched thousands and thousands of people come to the end of themselves, realizing how this world has nothing to offer, realizing how shallow this life is. Oh, is life really all about money? Is it really all about how much I can retire with? Or is it all about laying my life down and following Jesus? I've watched God's power meet people all across this world. I've watched just this last week and a man came up to me, was supposed to be injected with steroids in his back because his back has been in so much pain, was supposed to have surgery. God's power showed up, touched his back last weekend, sent me an email saying, Micah, my back is 100%, no steroids, no surgery, I'm completely medical free. This is the resurrection power we've seen God do. I don't understand why God heals some and not others, but I do understand when Jesus said, if you would just believe me, if you would just trust me, you will watch how I get a whole lot of glory through your life. You see, life was never meant to be about us. Life was meant to be about him. And when you live for Christ and when you live in him, you see how God gets the glory through your life. The story isn't finished. I don't know where you are, what you've walked into, where you've walked from. But Jesus knows your name, knows the number of hairs on your head, and desires to be the Lord of your life. You and I can never save ourselves. You and I could never be good enough to earn his salvation. This is why Jesus became a bridge. This is why Jesus came and made a way to take you from death to life. I just want everyone to bow their head, close their eyes, no one looking around. I want to give an opportunity for people to say yes to Jesus. If you're here and you're not following Jesus or you're here or you want to recommit your life to Jesus, you see God so loved you that he gave up his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever might believe in Jesus wouldn't die and perish but would have everlasting life. On the count of three, if you're in the room just saying, hey, I want to surrender and give my life to Jesus, I just want you to slip up a hand. It's the greatest choice you could ever make. The greatest decision you could ever make is following Jesus. One, 
You want him to take you from death to life. Two, three. Just put up your hand wherever you are. So cool. Amazing. Just keep it up. So cool. You can put it down. I want everyone to pray with me. You see, the first step to being rescued is being heard. It's confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for you. Would all of you with me as the church, would you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm lost without you. I'm a sinner who needs your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness and your love. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Would you help me go from death to your life. In Jesus' name I pray. Church, can we clap for the 11 people that raised their hand to follow Jesus this morning?